0: Dear listeners, welcome back to this latest episode of the podcast series The Way Out Is In. I'm Joe Confrino, working at the Intersection of Personal Transformation
1: and Systems Evolution. And I am Brother Fab Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk student of Zen Master Tikinhan in the Plum Village community.
0: And today, dear listeners, um, we are going to share 32 words of Zen Master Han that can transform your relationships.
2: The way out is in.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fab Who, Brother, how are you? I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, we're in the midst of our rains retreat. It's been raining so much in France. And um, it's very calm. We're halfway through our rains retreat, over 40 I think we're on day 47 of our rains retreat. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, um, it's good to be back in Ticknet Hands Sitting Still Hut, uh, which is being renovated. It's being uh, brought back to pristine condition.
1: Yes. Uh, we are just giving it a new coat as uh, the jacket outside is getting a little bit moldy and aged. So um, one of our brother's cousin who is here is uh, volunteering to change the wood. Great. So, brother, today we are going to be talking
0: about uh, one of Tai's teachings called the Four Mantras. And uh, Tai, in a sense, created these to help people um, to actually create healthy and happy relationships and to, uh, to really allow conversations and people to be there for each other in ways that can deal with suffering, and also create happiness. So um, the thing about Thich Nhat Hanh that I treasure is that he studied all his life. He he studied all the Buddhist teachings. He had his deep, deep and broad knowledge of all the Buddha's teachings and, and throughout the last 2,600 years. And then in a Zen way, he crystallized them into pure essence, which is why we have 32 words. So... Um, Brother, would you like to introduce what are the four mantras? Sure. And then, and then we'll go through them one by one and, yeah. and unveil them, open them up like, like four presents.
1: Wow. Yes. First, I want to share what the word mantra means. So the mantra word itself um, has origins from the language Sanskrit. And the word man, it uh, it is to think, to recollect. So to give a thought to it. And then the word tra, mantra, tra becomes like an instrument, a tool. So we, so a mantra is words that we can announce that can have impact, can can change things. Can move things, and we have to understand that it's not like a spell or something. Like we're not like becoming a wizard and saying hocus pocus. Is that hocus pocus? <laughs> it is now. It is now. <laughs> um, and 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 then and then oh abracadabra, right? That's a very classic one. And mantra comes all the way from the time of um, the origin of it is really deeply rooted in um, the Vedic tradition of India. And of course, Buddhism, the Buddha himself, um, was born as a, as a Hindu. So he studied the Vedas and so on. And so there's also, not saying that the Buddha, um, I'm not saying that the Buddha created mantras. So we have to understand this. So there, in the tradition of Buddhism, there is a continuous journey of connection and that's why Tai, our teacher, sometimes he says, Buddhism is actually made out of non-Buddhist element because the Buddha would bring teachings uh, from what he's learned from his experience and from his new insight of his practice in the present moment. And like you have shared mantras in, especially in Mahayana Buddhism, like Tibet. Um, Vietnamese Buddhism, Chinese Buddhism, we emphasize on a lot of ceremonies and chanting. So a lot of mantras were created in order to help us recollect of the practice. Like we would have words such as gate paragate parasam Swaha, which is the essence of the Heart Sutra, which is to talk about emptiness and coming to the other shore. Understanding interbeing, so there are many different mantras in Buddhism, and as Thai started to create a new Buddhism, which is engaged Buddhism, applied Buddhism, and Thai's audience was not just from the East, and Thai's audience and students later on were coming from many tradition and many religion, and spoke a different language than Vietnamese or classical Chinese. Um, so one of Tai's principle is you have to understand what we are saying, what we are teaching, and what we are practicing. So in a more, let's say, quote unquote traditional temples, they would keep the original mantras that were hundreds of years ago and still chanted today or recite it today. And Tai is very practical. He's like, nobody understands what that means. And so here he is in the present moment during his years of teaching and what he realized that a lot of his students were coming from um, many walks of life. And a lot of them are in relationships or, or are having issues or not understanding how to nurture a relationship such as a romantic relationship or a relationship with our parents, with our brothers, our sisters, our community. So Tai created these mantras, which are very practical. Um, it, it even sounds very simple, but if done with right mindfulness, it has such impact. And the first mantra is the essence of the practice of mindfulness, which is when we practice mindfulness, it is to generate the energy of awareness, so that we can offer ourselves a presence, so we can know what is going on inside of us, what is going on around us. And with that mindfulness, we are in control. We have agency of the present moment. So a lot of the times we are in a relationship, um, whether colleagues or brothers, sisters, spiritual friends or husband and wife or partners, at first, we we love being together, and we remember the beauty of being together. But one of our tendency is we take things for granted. We forget how precious things are that is right in front of us, and we forget to be present for the ones we truly love. So the first mantra is, I am here for you. It is as simple as that, but in the word, present, when we want to give somebody a present, our natural tendency is to think about buying something to consume in order to offer something that we feel that will make them um, um, feel loved. And what we've learned in true love is to be loved is to be seen, to be loved is to be recognized, is to be heard. And one thing that is... quote-unquote, I would say it's free, but it can also, if you say time is money, then maybe it's not so free. (laughs) But if you have that view, but the real practice of true love, first and foremost, is learning to be there for one another. So the first mantra is, I am here for you. Thank you, brother. And,
0: you know, what you speak is such a deep truth because what i've learned from being in plum village is it's about one's presence as you say not buying presence, and presence is about um it's it is actually the heart of mindfulness and buddhism which is deep listening and and compassionate speech it's saying actually i am really i am here for you is actually what we all want to hear is we all want to know that actually the person we love is truly there for them so um the other thing, brother, is a lot of relationships. I, I remember someone describing their—you know—that that there's a honeymoon phase in relationships, isn't there? Where, as you say, where everything's beautiful, everything's wonderful. Although one person wants to describe their wedding as a, a Hawaiian sunset, which is it went down very quickly. But, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but most of the time, as you say, I mean, I think the heart of what you're saying is we just assume things. When we're close to someone, we take each other for granted. We don't actually just notice. We stop noticing the little things. We stop noticing what it is someone is doing that is uh, generous, what some, what someone's doing that is making them happy. We, we just stop noticing.
1: Yeah, and it's so easy to also be carried away by the rhythm of life if we are working and if we are... um managing a whole team, a whole company, a whole organization, we fall into the trap of like, if I don't do it, nobody will do it. And also the practice, I am here for you, is not just for the ones outside of us, but it's also a practice for yourself. And I just practiced this um, two days ago. We have in the upper hamlet, we have um, a culture during the rains retreat after forty-five days, we we allow ourselves to have two full days of lazy days. So traditionally, we only get one day, but this time we um, we extend it to two full days. No meditation, um, no schedule, and it's a real practice of just resting, learning to drop everything that we are doing, and just be there for yourself and be there for others. And I always fall into a trap when I see a lazy day, I always say amazing. I got, you know, 12 hours to work. <laughs> <laughs> I got 12 hours to, to catch m- up on <laughs> things. To catch up on things for hours to do the things that I said I was going to do 2 years ago, right? We all have this habit and we all fall into these kind of traps. And so we preoccupy ourselves. And as we were entering into the first lazy day, the night before I started to plan, you know, I was like, okay, I need to do this, 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 and that. And it's almost Christmas, right? We're, 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 we're in like the holiday season. And I was like, why, why don't I just give myself 48 hours of just doing what I really like to do? Which is first and foremost, nothing, drink tea, um, second, exercise. Third thing, listen to some music. <laughs> Fourth thing is, you know, go for a walk in this beautiful monastery that, uh, that I'm a part of. And so we even forget to treasure the wonders around us. And so to practice, I am here for you, is not just for another person, but it's also a practice for oneself. And and brother that is true of course of all the mantras
0: and in a sense all our behaviors is that if we can't give it to ourselves how can we give it to someone else so that is i think translatable to so much in life that if we don't have a capacity for something how can we offer it to someone else um and brother but let's you 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 know when you you nailed it particularly on presence you know we we talk about being there is about not doing something but it's a it's a feeling, is it? It's someone knows that they can trust you, that you have time for them, that you're listening to them, and in that that there's love present. Now, when I came to Plum Village, in a sense, why I have stuck with Plum Village, I don't mean stuck in the sense of why, but why I'm still here and why I care so much about this community is because it it generates presence. And it would be lovely maybe to talk a little bit about. Tai mm. and how he having been his attendant for 17 years how you noticed that presence show up what and you know what difference it made in situations you know what if he just if he hadn't had that extra clarity of mindfulness and being there at that moment what difference does that actually make
1: i think the difference would be feeling like if Ty didn't have that presence it can it can feel like, oh, he doesn't care about me. And when we are with somebody who we truly respect and we truly love, um, we are also communicating through energy, through energy of presence, through energy of the way we look at each other, the way we um, focus our attention to somebody. So you can really feel that that person is there for you. Mm-hmm. And... I, I would say first, first and foremost, like Tai is a master at this. He doesn't even have to try. It's it's like it's just it's in his DNA. It's so natural, and and I want to share this because this is actually what we are cultivating as practitioner, is to make our capacity of being present very natural so that we don't have to always put effort into it because sometimes it feels like and I've heard this it's like oh to meditate is so tiring because I have to be there I have to focus I have to be silent I have to tune in right and I hear all these catchphrases and I'm like yeah but isn't that actually what you want to offer at the end of the day and Tai was just somebody who was never distracted by the past, by the future, and by the noise around. And a lot of us who were ordained and had the opportunity to be in his in his physical presence when he was still teaching, I would say that his presence also offers us an encouragement. Like when he's there for you, through his Dhamma talk, he looks at you. He really looks at you. And many people have said during a Dhamma talk, like there's like 800 people or there's like 1,000 people or sometimes just 400 people. But we feel like, oh, he's talking to me. Like Thai is talking to me. And everybody has a story like that. Like, wow, like Thai really gets me. Like Tai really understands me. And I... I think sometimes it's just his way of being so present that he looks at you, that you feel that you're so seen that you are alive because somebody is recognizing your existence. So as a teacher, you know, Kai doesn't only teach through words, but he's teaching through bodily action. We call this the Dharma body. And we also call that the Dharma body, the Dharma body is a teaching body. So the way we move, the way we open the door, the way we would write on the whiteboard or um, erase what he has written. Sometimes it's like the most zenist thing ever. It's so simple, but there is so much presence. And I, re- I always remember Brother Phap Brother Spirit, saying that one of his like deep moments in Plum Village when he was still very skeptical and he started to believe more was when he saw Taiporti. He said, the way Kaiporti, he was the most freest person ever. So in true presence, you are free because you're not being distracted. You're not being carried away and you are just there for the person you love. And in our modern time, this is probably the most advanced training because we are so distracted. There is so much noise. There is so much information and the the seed of fear anxiety worries um even worrying for the good the goodness of life can make us lose ourselves in the present moment and of course like the smartphone era you know we are living in a digital world and i'm not i'm not saying it's a bad thing and one thing that i've learned from thai is not to be afraid of the changes of the world, but is how do we adapt to it so that we can be more attentive and more mindful and intentional? Um, in this rains retreat, our carpenter brother Tingduk, who is a very skilled artist with wood, he created a smartphone um, room and it's boxes with uh, individual slots for a- any brother who wants can um, deposit their smartphone in the library, in the monastic library, and it has chargers and everything. So it's very intentional. So for those brothers who um, are addicted to the phones, yes, monks do get addicted just like everybody else. So I am also sometimes catching myself how how, um, tuned in I am to the screen, and I lose myself from the present moment. So just setting up real intentional practices, like this is a practice, this is meditation. So before you enter your room, after you know you wanna end your day at 9 p.m. or at 8 p.m. without the phone, you submit your phone into the box. It's a new Dhamma door, it's a new practice. So we also have to evolve with the changes of our times.
0: brother and one of the things as you were talking um that was sort of very much in my mind was was sort of being a refuge for people and um and what I mean by that is that I think you talk about this complex world we're living in it's sometimes we're not sure who to trust and and when we don't trust in a sense we armor up we, we're in protective mode because actually we fear that if we show vulnerability that we may suffer humiliation or may be attacked or that it won't be respected and for me also when I to say I am here for you is saying actually I'm creating a space a container to hold whatever it is you want to say and that whatever you want to say I will hold it with love and respect and and what that does, I think, is it opens people up, it allows people to be vulnerable, it allows people to, to sometimes share their darkest secrets. I mean, I, I remember when I went uh, first to see a therapist many, many years ago, he said people always bring their second worst problem to the therapist. In other words, that the the biggest problem is is even with a therapist who is a sort of confidential, trusted person that you're paying for and that doesn't know you personally, that people find it very... Um, don't feel safe enough to, to share what is really, really deep in their heart. So they bring their second worst problem. And as you were saying, speaking, you know, Plum Village actually says I am here for you as a community because you know that and we've said this before and i and i'm very happy to say it on every podcast episode actually (laughs) because it it we need to be reminded of it you know the the first dharma seal of plum village is i have arrived i am home what what does it mean to arrive and be home is to say i am safe here i i can show up as myself and i know that i will be held so I'm just wondering if there's anything you wanted to add before we move on to number two. Um, but just about, we don't just do it as individuals, we, you
1: hold it as a community. Exactly, and, and I want to emphasize on this one is also, I am here for you, it's not just by words, it's really by just present. And I think sometimes um, we, we get caught up in, in thinking that we have to be there. To be there means we have to have a conversation. And, and I feel sometimes conversations are more superficial because we're so autopilot. Like, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. You know, how are you? And then, you know, it's, it's very surface level. And I, I would say one of, I think why Ty really liked me as an attendant. Uh, hold on, folks. Hold, hold on, to hear on, folks. The, it's coming out <laughs> finally. It's taken us 60 episodes, but it's coming. <laughs> it's because I don't talk a lot when I'm with Ty. And a lot of the times like brothers and sisters, you know, they get curious, like Fapu, like w- when, when you're with Tai, like, what do you say? What do you do? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I say absolutely nothing. Only if Tai asks me something. And well, everybody is different, right? Everybody's a different characteristic and everybody needs different energies to nourish them. And because Tai was a teacher for so many, so outside of the hut, he has to show up and give himself so um, so much through his teaching, through his words, and and it takes a lot of you to be so transparent. When you start to teach, you are unveiling yourself. So when you are with your safe space, which is like your your room, your house, um, you just want to enjoy the quietness. You just want to enjoy the space that you you can allow yourself to be. And and I was very mindful, like my relationship with Tai is not based on words. My relationship my relationship with Tai is based on being there for one one another. And we would sit with each other and drink a cup of tea in silence for like 50 minutes. And I was totally happy. And I'm sure Tai was very happy about it too. And I've, I've taken many people to Thai's hut to give them a tour. And I, I've always also show the hammock, you know, one of Thai's favorite siesta um, practice is to be on a hammock because it's like you're like a child being cradled. It's like coming back to um, that safe space in the mother's womb. And some days, you know, I would just sit there and just sw- push, sway, just swing, just know. swing the hammock. And the two of us... In- total silence from time to time I would check in but I, I just want to share that um, what I appreciate in this practice is to overcome the also the anxiety of um, inferiority complex because I think sometimes when we feel we're less than we want to speak more we want to say more we want to be heard and that also is a loss of energy so it's I've learned that, you know, I am here for you is more than words. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. So number
0: two, da-da-da-da-da. So number two, brother, is I know you are there and I am very happy.
1: I love this one. I I think because I do it more than I am here for you. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess um, I I just appreciate so much um, people who supports me, you know? One of my, my, my name that I was given was, uh, when I became a monk was Dharma Friend. And so friendship is something that I've always been interested in and cultivating and learning um, very deeply about it in my own journey of becoming my own friend and then recognizing the friends that are around you to support you. And so I know you are there and I am so happy or I am very happy is also mindfulness, the recognition of the love and support that you are getting. And it's to honor that because once again, we will take it for granted. We will forget that the person that loves us is there for us. And the practice of mindfulness is to always shine that light that you're not alone and that there is love around you. But if we do close our hearts, we will not be able to tap into the love and the support that is around us. And I know you are there and I am so happy. It is also to identify that 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 person is a reality. They're not an illusion. They're not a wishful thinking, and I think a lot of us, our original fear Tai speaks about is, you know, the moment we are born. Like we we have to survive. It's our first breath that we are taking in for ourselves, and and suddenly we're cut off from love, which is our mother, the the umbilical cord, right? And some of us growing up with our mother who is very loving, we. We, we have that enoughness, and then there are those who don't, and so we don't feel enough, and so we are always seeking for love, and sometimes love is in front of us, but we don't recognize it, and we're still searching, and we will keep searching because that is that is a deep desire, the original desire, and therefore Uh, We can go in circles and be a victim, a slave to desire. But if we know how to stop and if we really just recognize the conditions that are there for us and to say, I know you're there and I'm so happy. And it's not just humans. It's also nature. It's the cosmos. It is the food in front of us, you know, even the electronics of today, you know, sometimes how how lucky it is that we have this technology to transmit these teachings, these conversations and so on. So I know you are there and I am very happy. Is a foundation of gratitude. And I remember one time walking with Tai, you know, Tai stopped and it was in the evening and Tai saw the full moon and we just took a very long pause and we just admire the moon and in that admiration of the moon that is present it is the practice that I know you are there and I am very happy so brother I was
0: just with my wife Paz in Athens and um, and I had this sort of insight which is unfortunately not as uh, impressive as uh, Ty's insights but um I was walking around Athens seeing these beautiful old buildings that have been preserved, and what came to my mind was, you know, that someone, an architect, had created those buildings out of love. You know, they're they're, they're not standard buildings, you just knock them up and uh, they're ten a penny. You could tell that each one had an individual flavour. You could tell that there was, that person who had designed it and created it had beauty in their mind. And I had this real sense that I know you're there and I'm happy for you. Actually, also goes both ways and not just in the human world. So I I w- could imagine myself easily in that moment. And I was saying to the architect who built that house, I know you're there and I'm very happy, which is saying, actually, you have created something beautiful that my eyes are resting on and giving me this sort of, innocence sense, a, a sustenance. And also recognising that the architect, even though they're long dead, maybe by hundreds of years, could also in that moment feel that and could in my mind say, I know you are there and I am very happy because you're appreciating what I have created and is still there and, and has been looked after and nourished. So there was this deep sense of that those two things go naturally together and actually it's we that whenever we truly appreciate something that actually we're giving permission for that other person to feel that same appreciation um so that was a sort of uh that was a real insight for me about how to how to see all sorts of things in life um and brother i just want to go sort of a bit deeper into this which is that When we say, I know you're there, actually it's following on from what I'm saying. When you're saying to someone, I know you're there and I'm very happy, you are giving someone a gift, but you're also receiving that gift.
1: Yes, you're receiving that gift because you're mindful of that person. And I know you're there and I'm very happy. You know, when you receive like a message like that, Like it just makes you smile, right? So I was just about to say that whenever I've said that to people, people just bloom.
0: I mean, like Ty's idea of a, of a, of a something that's flower, you know, flower that blooms, they just immediately, they, because if it's said with that quality, it's like the sun and the rain and the minerals that, Anyway, sorry I interrupted no, you. No, no,
1: no, no. That is I, exactly it, um, Joe. <laughs> I know you're there, and I'm very happy. For I know room. you're there, and I'm very happy. And Kata is and here. I know you're there, and I'm very happy. And to all the all of the listeners, I know you're there, and I'm very happy. It is, it it is also we need nourishment in in love, right? Like in friendship, in community. This is nutriment that we can always um, feed each other, which is just to recognize that that person exists. And so these are words of, I know you're there and I'm so happy. But there are also actions that also provides this. So I'm Vietnamese and part of the Vietnamese culture is we don't say I love you. It's, 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 it's very awkward for us to say that, like this was brought from the West to us. And our way of appreciation is showing through action though. So it's like um, when you, like like in the monastic culture, when you appreciate so much your elder brother or sister and you see them work so much, or they just offer a class and they're eating lunch with you and a way to to express gratitude it's just bowing and taking their plate and bow and washing it for them. It's as simple as that. And it's also an expression. It's like, thank you so much for offering the class this morning. This is the least I can do. It's as simple as I'll just take your bow and plate and I'll clean it for you. So I know you're there and I'm very happy. It's also not just through words, but it can be shown through action. And sometimes a hug is... Is um, the mantra itself like, I know you're there, and I'm so happy. And I remember, um, I remember one time like, I was, I was with Ty, and we were attending. Um, and he was, it was a very busy day. Ty had a lot of interviews, and he had a lot of guests in this little hut that we were in. And we surpass lunchtime. Tai is actually very good at meals. Like he is so consistent. Like breakfast, lunch, and dinner is is, is a habit that he has created to keep his um, his routine. And that day we totally surpassed. It was like 130. We usually eat at twelve thirty. And normally, like the attendance, we don't eat Thai's food. We don't we don't share the same um um, dishes. Dishes, right? Because Tai also had a, a more sp- special diet for his health and at his age. But we would have to go all the way to the, um, to the dining hall, get our food and come all the way back. And Tai was so aware that, cause Tai was busy, so the attendant was very busy. And because Tai was having all these guests, I didn't have time to go get food. So as I was putting on my shoes to about to go get food, Tai saw that and Tai said, for stay. You don't need to get food. You're gonna share with me today, and it's a moment I'll never forget. And it was at this table where we're recording Joe and Kata, and we were sitting here, not not with microphones, but with delicious food. <laughs> <laughs> Different nourishment. Different nourishment. And Tai was just feeding me. It was the most simplest act. He, you know, he took my he took my bowl. He put rice in it. He put tofu, vegetable, soy sauce, and he gave it back. And as I was eating, he kept feeding me more and more and more. And just that like to today is like, it's like, thank you, Tai, for offering love in the most simplest way ever. And it's, for me, that's very intimate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Beautiful. Well,
0: wow. I'm looking forward to the day you serve me. something. <laughs> <laughs> will do, Joe, will do, Joe. <laughs> so brother i have a little story about this mantra because um because one of the things uh, i keep forgetting about thai's teachings but i think it's rather wonderful is that he talks about appreciating your teeth when you don't have a toothache that we tend to think about our, uh, our teeth only when we have a pain but we don't appreciate the fact that we have um that we have healthy teeth uh you know when they're when they are healthy and um my eldest brother, uh, who I'm happy to name, is called David. Um, and uh, he was someone, when I was growing up and all through my life, that I knew that, uh, that if ever I needed help, if there was ever an emergency, that whatever he was doing, wherever he was in the world, that he would drop it and come to my aid. And and I know my other brothers, if they were to listen to this, they'd say, oh, I would do oh, I would have done that too. What are you talking? So, of course, uh, all my brothers would do that. But he's my eldest brother, and he had that quality for all of us, actually. And um, so when I was in Plum Village one year, I bought him one of Ty's calligraphies saying, I know you're there. Well, actually, actually, there was a bit of a problem because I couldn't afford the bigger one. So actually, I bought him one which said... I know you're there and I'm happy. And then he complained because it didn't say very happy. (laughs) Because I couldn't fit all the words on a smaller calligraphy. So so it didn't backfire a little on me. (laughs) But what I was recognising was that actually I had never needed him in an emergency. There was no time where I felt, oh, my God, you know, I need you. But I knew he was there for me, even though he didn't need to be there and he was like a safety net because it meant that i i went i've gone and still i would say that you know i've gone through my whole life with that knowledge with that knowing that has allowed me to face into things because i i know there's someone there who's going to back me up and um and i feel that you know going back to what you were saying about i am here for you Often we don't say these things. Yeah. And, and what the mentors are so powerful is that they're a reminder that, as you say, you know, we don't have to say lots of things. We don't have to say, but just those words deeply felt, deeply meant with an understanding between two people, because he knows he has been that for me. It's not like he doesn't know. We know, but when things aren't voiced sometimes, even the most simple ways that, that, that it can slip through our fingers, So, brother, what's number three? We're 15 words in, by the way. Yay. 15 out of 32. We're nearly halfway.
1: The next one is a, it's a very beautiful one. And uh, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's really hard. It is, I know you suffer and I am here for you. When you truly love somebody and that someone has impacted your life and you're practicing true love. In true love, there's interbeing. So that person's suffering becomes your suffering. And when you're mindful of it, you see them um, struggling. And we may not know exactly what to do or how to help. But as a practitioner, we are learning to identify, acknowledge, name it, and embrace it. And it can be difficult and hard because if we're so used to and so attached to the bubbly love, the joyful love, the love that is always offering us freshness, and we forget that we're all also of the nature to suffer, then it's very difficult to want to be with somebody when they suffer. Because of individualism, we, we're very, picky. <laughs> we, we're very picky when it comes to um, our own nutriments. But we've also learned that in Buddhism, that happiness and suffering, they nourish each other and they teach each other. So when we have the insight of interbeing, if that person is going through a hard time, there is no way that we can not be in touch with their suffering because we are interconnected through a relationship. And so the practice is to have courage. It is to show up for those who suffer and say, I know you suffer and I'm here for you. And I'm here for you doesn't mean I have the answer. I'm here for you doesn't mean I'm going to save you. I have the solution. It's just... I just want you to know that I see you. I just want you to know that I, I want to acknowledge what you're going through. And by showing up with this openness, if we do it with um, real presence and a, a true openness, not having expectation and not creating a story of, oh, what will happen when I say that? But just to show up and and share this, we may be able to allow that person to have the courage to also accept what they are going through. Because sometimes when we love somebody so much, we don't want to show them this side. I Like, I don't ever want to show to the community, like, I'm vulnerable. And sometimes it's very difficult to show that because we, we only want to show our most beautiful side and that becomes a trap in itself that becomes um, um, a suffering in itself so when somebody allows you to be just as is I think that's one of the most precious gifts ever so the power of this mantra is showing up unconditionally and um if we don't if we don't um, have that courage and that that uh, understanding to to show up then our love is still conditioned and this is that teaching in the third mantra is I know you suffer and I'm here for you because normally when we when we love an interaction is when that person is like giving us so much and suddenly we feel that oh, by being with them, they're gonna, they are gonna take from me. And so we fall into this, um, this, um, view of, of a separate self. So this mantra is to cross that bridge of a separate self to, to really allow that person to be, to recognize and allow yourself to also learn to be for those who are suffering, and it may be uncomfortable, because we may be also the causes of that suffering. So it's also giving that opportunity for communication to manifest. Mm, not in that brother one.
0: So the version I was reading um, a few days ago it's just slightly different, but it. And I just wondered if if it's meaningful or not, because I read one which said, "I I know you suffer. That is why." I am here for you. And and the only reason I mentioned that version is cuz that that version touched me because what it said was I am here for you not because you bring me pleasure. I'm here for you because you suffer. I know you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. And and it speaks so much to what you were saying is that you know, we live especially in western society in we seek pleasure and avoid pain and therefore we're always looking for um for what's healthy in our minds what what brings us joy what's easy how to bypass pain and we also do that in our relationships don't we that um that when we get into an intimate relationship with someone um on any level what we want to do is show them our best sides we want to show them what makes us uh why you should be attracted to me? Why you should like me? So we're always offering our very, very best, and and both partners in a romantic relation, both partners are doing that when they get together. They're saying, "I'm I'm a I'm very joyful. I'm creative. I'm fun loving. I um, I know how to live a good life. Um I'll take you to the best restaurants. You know da 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 da. And when both partners are doing that on one level we're creating a lie, aren't we? We're getting into a habit and then it's very, very difficult to show up fully yeah. because we feel almost we'll, because we've hidden something given it so much power because if we hide something, we think it's more important or more, more of a problem than it may be. Then our fear is as soon as we show, show it to the other person, they'll probably run away. So we, we hide it more. And then what I've learned through Thay's teachings is the more we avoid our suffering, the more it builds up and then it will explode. So what I love about this mantra is saying, I'm here for your suffering. I'm not here for what your happiness is. Because actually, if I can support you in your suffering, then I... You will become much more beautiful and your beauty will be much deeper and richer and that and that our relationship will go deeper. And and also there's that thing is if I can, I mean, coming back to what you said at the beginning, if I'm here for your suffering, then actually you can be there for my suffering. These things never go one way or the other. And I love that because when I when I was younger, all I wanted to do was hide my problems all i wanted to do was pretend everything was okay and and you know in all the work i do with people you know i think the biggest issue that comes up for people is people who think they're not enough yeah people who think that they're not enough in life and 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 to show up fully we can say i don't feel enough and the other person can say i don't feel enough either yeah. and in that moment there's 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 true intimacy and um and i know that uh, sister chan kong once uh, when Paz and i got married here she gave us a card which says love is understanding because that that is true love being there for our suffering because we as you say we all suffer we have multiple sufferings and if we're truly there for our suffering and each other's suffering that i mean how can that not be love
1: yeah yeah this this third uh, mantra has also Giving birth to uh, a new mantra that I have, Joe. What? Is this dun, the, dun, dun, Is this a big unveil, brother? This is. Um, and it goes like this. I love you to not consume you. I love you to show you and to let you know that you are enough.
2: Mm.
1: I love you to not consume you. I love you to show you that you are enough and this has been my practice because um sometimes in love and this is a monk talking about love by the way and <laughs> you may think like you know like we we live uh we live with like trees and mountains only but um actually you know in a community there is so much relationship that that is actually even more challenging because I have so many relationships that I am. And you live so tightly together. It's it's so intense. And we meditate together. We eat together. We work together. We sleep in the same residence. We see each other almost (laughs) 24-7. And sometimes, you know, it does seem like, and I've fallen into this. It's like, love is like, oh, I'm in this community. And it's it's like a buffet. Like today I'm going to consume kata. And then tomorrow I'm going to consume joe. And I'm just going to keep consuming, consuming, consuming. Um, and then everybody's love or everybody's presence, it becomes an object to, to, to chase after, to run after. And so I've only touched this deeper presence of the first two mantra is when I've practiced more deeply the third mantra is to show up for the ones when they are suffering and i'm there because you suffer and it's not it's, it's not because i i want to just eat your happiness but I'm, I'm gonna show up so i can listen and and maybe by listening we're all reminded that we are enough in this moment brother i love that and i'll tell you
0: what it brings to mind is that often we're adding to people suffering through our behaviour. So, so when we say, I suffer, that is why I'm here for you, I think also beyond that, and you, you speak to it so beautifully, is that people have their existing suffering, but then in our relationship with people, often we're adding to that suffering. And, um, and uh, what it brings to mind is that when Paz and I were married in Plum Village, that Sister Chang Kong asked us to write our own um, vows to each other and my main vow to Paz was that I did not want to put it in a gilded cage because what I love about Paz is that she's free and she's creative and, and, and she needs a lot of space and, and that is why I love her. But actually there's a part of me that's needy that, wants stuff that wants to be acknowledged more and that in a sense a part of me that would I I, I was about to say this and I hesitate but I'll say it because maybe there's an aspect of it's true a part of me that would love to have her in a gilded cage because then she would be mine then my neediness would allow me to say actually you're here for my needs you're here to make me happy you're here to sort of show me, help me to be creative. You're here to help me to feel free. Um, But actually, I know that if I were to put her, metaphorically, in a gilded cage, that I would destroy everything I love about her. And, you know, it's like taking a a beautiful songbird that loves to fly through the sky and putting in a cage. And and what's it going to feel? It's going to feel miserable. It's going to feel like like it's like all the beauty of life has gone even if it can sing beautifully it's not going to have the resonance of freedom so i i don't know if you that's partly what you mean but but i really i really learned that so deeply and i feel that a lot in people's relationships that when we get together with people beyond the surface love and uh, attraction or whatever there's also often a neediness that arises which is we're attracted to people that we think will complete us and so um so if we are introverted we might like to go out with someone who is extroverted because because they in a sense complete us they through them we can live this life of um partying or 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 socializing but then often what we do is then we because we think we want to own it but we can never own what's in someone else we then become resentful of it and then we attack it and i seem in many relationships that what people loved about their partner is then what they seek to destroy because they feel they can't own it for themselves so i don't know i don't know if that resonates to what you're saying or yeah. not
1: well what you just said is another calligraphy which is is a deep practice which is Tai has written, "In true love, there is freedom," and and this freedom is the inner freedom of us allowing to be who we are, but also to interbe with each other, as well as to um, have the time and space that we can carve out for each other to listen to our deepest aspiration. You know, Tai always says. And reminds us as as communities and as brothers and sisters, um, as siblings, as partners. It's like, yeah, you love each other, but have you really just sat down and asked each other, like, what is your deepest aspiration, and can I be a part of it? Like, can I help? And and your your realization will be my greatest happiness, because normally we we fall into. Um, the ego, right? It's like, I want you to be happy for me. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and this happens, this, this complex happens in families among siblings and sometimes parents create it and, and then society, we, we are born. I mean, remember school, like we're like, who has the A plus? It's like a whole competition. Our world is, is, um, has been curated to compete with each other, but our origins is we are we are tribal. We are communities. We we actually needed each other to survive. And coming back to you know these practices and these mantras is also learning to um, suffer together, but to celebrate together each each other's success, so that we have freedom for each other's path that we we walk on. and in in true love, you know we have to look at each other and sometimes we have to look at the same direction that we want to walk in towards also and brother, so
0: you will have sat with Thai many, many times when people will have come to share their suffering. And I would imagine that would be uh, monastics, but also lay practitioners. and And I'm just wondering if you can share, you know, I know you suffer, that is why I'm here for you. How Tai sat with people's suffering and how he responded to people's suffering. So so how was he? Because because sometimes people have lived very, very painful lives, have, have experienced horrific experiences that you would wish no one ever to have to suffer. And he's probably sat with many people and in the question and answer sessions after his Dharma talks, when uh, or when he did question and answer, people would come and share very, very difficult moments. I'm just wondering what are the qualities you saw in Thai that allowed him to be with people suffering and not be engulfed by it or not feel overwhelmed by it? You mean for Thai? Yeah, he how, how you saw mm. Thai sort of sit with people and, and mm. hold that space?
1: Mm. Well, first and foremost, I would say um, Tai's a very good listener. Mm. He's a very good listener and he allows people to have the space to share and he's very attentive to the characteristic of everyone. You know, he can recognize when somebody's very nervous. He can recognize when somebody is too aggressive and, you know, you, you kind of want to tune your energy to to help the situation, and he practiced. I would say the four noble truth. Um, first of all, is recognizing that that person's suffering, and then by listening to their stories or um, their sharing, like in the Q and As or in consultations or you know, when people get to visit Thai, you you get to hear what is being said, and then you also get to hear. Um, the experience of pain, like what is not being said through the emotions and so on. And I think a lot of the times, you know, as 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 our tendency is like to bypass it as quickly as possible. It's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you pat somebody on the back or or you say something like, Yeah, but at least I don't know the sun is still shining, you know <laughs> and, and you know if, if it's set in a different mm. space, that is mindfulness because the sun is still shining and life is still there but it's not to like um, not to ignore that person's pain and suffering. And especially if a Zen master ignores it, I mean, I think you that that's a layer of trauma right there. that's a layer <laughs> of, of suffering, yeah. right? but Tai was very skillful in listening, in holding space. And then the third, and the, recognizing the the second is the root of the suffering. So sometimes Tai can ask questions so that you can identify your root and then seeing a pathway and leading towards the path of transformation. So that is like the formula. Ta-da! Mm. <laughs> and, and brother, you sort of, you, you
0: had a very important point there, which is that I see, a lot of the times when someone is suffering, what it's like a tuning for it resonates to other people's suffering. When other people feel that suffering, they want to close it down. So often, oh, the sun is shining, or it's not so bad, or have you thought of going on holiday, or is not actually, as you say, listening to the other person's suffering. It's saying, oh, don't want to go anywhere near there. Let's close that conversation down. So actually, a lot of the time, or as you said earlier, to find a solution. So we either want to close the conversation down because we don't want to feel the suffering, or we want to offer a solution because we don't want to feel the suffering. But the art is to be present for someone suffering, just yeah. to hear it. As you say, we're Thai, just to be present for it first. Yeah.
1: And what Thai would do afterwards is we would go for walks, um, take refuge in nature to kind of like... Um, ha- like exercise those energy that that we have received and we have given, and I remember sometimes like um, Ty and I, we would just like whenever I see him go to the coat hanging rack, I'm like, okay, we're gonna go for a walk because Ty needs to, Tai needs to be out of the space where you know he just did so much listening and sharing, and and then changing the peg, which is like that energy maybe have been heavy, so we do something to balance it, you know, either go for a walk or just sit there, drink tea, just do anything to release that energy. So that is also our our practice of bringing back balance to us. Calligraphy. I would do hours of calligraphies as a way to just change the energy. Um, and it's not about, it's not like ignoring what has just happened, but it's just like we if we're just gonna sit on it for so long, it might drag us down. Also, so to have um, good habits, uh, good hobbies. Tai was a very good gardener, um, so he had like a greenhouse with a lot of um, flowers and plants. So Tai would take care of it. He had at the Hermitage, he had a greenhouse um, of vegetables. So just just the things, and most of it is 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 very is very physical. So I would recommend physical. Um, Hobbies so that we don't stay in the in the thinking so much, in the mind so much.
0: so that brings us to the fourth mantra which uh, a lot of people say is the most difficult and the fourth mantra is I suffer please help why is that the most difficult one for so many people
1: it's difficult because we are becoming vulnerable in that moment and it is the last two words please help It means we are putting our guards down. We are saying that I don't got this. I don't understand. Um, I'm really struggling and I need help. And it's very connected to the third mantra, um, which is like if you are offering yourself presence to somebody and you recognize that they are suffering and you show up and you want to listen, it may be in that moment of real presence that your friend, your partner, your loved one in front of you can finally just admit that I am suffering, that they are suffering. And it's hard because a lot of the times we want to punish the other person by showing that we don't suffer, we're fine. I'm fine without you. And I think each and every one of us, can admit to us doing that. Like we're punishing the other person by saying that we are fine. And when we say we are fine, it means I don't need you. But when somebody comes up to us and is asking for like, how can I help? If our pride is so strong, that is a punishment to the other person. So this practice of the fourth mantra is also to double check our perceptions, our stories. A lot of the time we suffer without even checking, is it true? Are you sure? And Tai always talks about this um, mantra very much connected to pride. And the pride is what blocks communication. We may have seen something, we may have heard something by a third party. And we hold on to that as it is the truth. And we know that views are very powerful. Views can change a whole landscape of a relationship. And we may hold on to a wrong perception until somebody dies without even checking. And there's a story that Tai always tells um, in a Dhamma talk uh, that is related to his realization of communication is so important and releasing the pride is so important. So this takes us back a few, maybe many, many, many years ago in Vietnam. And it is a true story that um, there was a young soldier um, leaving his wife to join the um, join the battle, join the war, and as he when he left, he knew his wife was pregnant. So when he left, there was a, a huge um, pain of being separated. And fortunately enough, um, during his absence, um, the child was born healthy. Um, but the wife. Had to take care of um, the child alone. And this was before social media, before inf- uh, technology. so she never knew if if the father would ever come home, if her husband would ever come home. But she was very courageous enough to um, to be a mother that was so stable and solid for the son and never had any um, uh, complexes. And the son really valued that love. But one day, the son came home from playing in the village and asked the mother, Mother, all of my friends have father. Where's my dad? And in that moment of shock, that question came out of nowhere. And the mother didn't know how to um, how to explain to such a small child, uh, four or five years old, uh, and explaining about the war and... and wasn't even sure to give him hope or not if 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 the father will come home because that can be a great suffering later so in that moment you know there was um there was no electricity back in the day but there was lamps and so she pointed to the, her shadow and she said this is your father say hello to your father and the child was very obedient oh hello dad you know but the reality was for the mother that the mother was also very lonely. So there were evenings that the mother would speak to the shadow, like she's speaking to her husband, and the child saw this. And fortunately enough, the the husband survived the war, came back, and he came back and this, uh, the child was uh, four or five years old. He was so happy and when when the two of them met each other, the husband and wife, they embraced each other. And in the Vietnamese culture, the first thing you do when you have happy news is you announce it to your ancestors. So we have an ancestral altar in every Vietnamese household, even till today. It's a beautiful culture and tradition that we have upheld. And the wife, um would go she went to the market to buy new flowers food, cook a nice meal to present to the um, to the ancestors and to share uh, the first meal together as a family. So during her absence, the father was very excited to see his son and he kept trying to ask his, get his son to say call me daddy to call him father and in that moment, um, The son said, you're not my dad. My dad comes every evening. And I would see mother speak to daddy every evening. And when my mother stand up, he stand up. When he sits down, he sits down. And when she lays down, he lays down. When the father heard that, his world just collapsed. So he felt that his wife has betrayed him, his sacrifice for the nation, and here he is, His wife cannot be faithful. So he was very angry. So when the wife came home, he didn't let um, her um, prostrate to the ancestral altar because he felt that she doesn't have honor anymore. And what he did was he drowned himself in alcohol, going to the bar. And his wife was also miserable because didn't know Within just a few hours, the husband has changed his attitude 180 degrees, didn't see her as his wife, didn't even recognize her, didn't even want to um, be in his presence. And so she suffered so much and she couldn't withstand it for a few days, a few weeks. So she committed suicide and she, she threw herself into the river. And this was such a tragedy when the, the village um, her, um, found her body, they found him at the bar and told him that, you know, your wife had, had jumped in the river and he came home to be there for the sun. And in the evening, when they lit up the lamp, the little boy finally said, Mr. Mr., that's the daddy. He comes every evening. And in that moment, the father realize that he's had a wrong perception the whole time. And Tai would always add on the teaching element to this, is that's why deep listening and loving speech is so important. If the wife suffers so much, knew how to ask, what happened when I left and I come back? Why did you change? What did I do so wrong? Can you please explain to me? Can you... Can, can't you recognize I am suffering? Can you help me understand the situation? And if the husband was intelligent and and has somebody to show him a way to handle this, what he has heard was to check: is this perception correct? Was to ask the wife, when you were gone, our son said this. Is this true? And only then can a bridge of communication. Um, be open but here both sides had their pride kept silent wanted to suffer on on their own one is to drown himself in alcohol the other is to be miserable and drown herself in stories and in thinking and in procrastination and just be in such misery to the point that doesn't want to exist anymore so the fourth mantra is to help us rebuild communication. It's like, if some if, if somebody else did this, it wouldn't matter. But it's because you, who I truly love, said that. It hurts me so much. And that's why this fourth mantra is so difficult because it demands us to let go of our pride. It requests us to... Put down our shield, our barrier, and just to show the other person that I'm not doing okay. And I, I think in our society, in our society, we don't value that, right? We don't value um, vulnerability. We, the image of a leader or of a strong husband or strong partner, wife, or and so on, is very successful, very stable, you know. Um, I, I can do anything, and and this image, this stereotype, has been um, ingrained in us now.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, brother, you should be a full time storyteller. <laughs> oh, I was thank quite, you. I was, I was sitting there feeling very emotional actually that story. Mm. Um, yeah, and and as you say, it it speaks so much to um, you know resilience. People think it's as you say, it's about keeping us. As in England, keeping a stiff upper lip—that you can with power, you can force your way through it. You can make it, make it through as long as you keep focused and you can keep strong. Whereas, in, in essence, that is um, great weakness because it's not really showing up. So, brother, uh, you know, in some um, music albums or whatever, there, there's bonus episodes or bonus songs, rather. Yes. So, um, so uh, while. Ty created the four mantras um later on he added two bonus mantras <laughs>
1: yes he did always evolving <laughs> always
0: evolving so maybe um we should just spend a little time yeah um just talking about those so do you want to share what those are
1: yeah the fifth one which is his favorite like he he takes this everywhere and when he when he found this mantra and he put it into word, he was so excited to announce it in a Dhamma talk. You know, It's like, dear community, I have a new mantra and I've practiced it so many times and I've made my attendants practice it too. And one of our brothers who hates the mantra, <laughs> he hated the mantra because to him, it was so cheesy. But it goes like this, this is a happy moment that's it and i remember when tai announced that mantra it he emphasized that as practitioners of mindfulness happiness is our right we all have the right to have a happy moment no matter what we're going through even though we are in a very tough position, a difficult suffering. We're still working on our trauma. We, we recognize that there are wars. We recognize that we're not caring for the planet the way we want to. And we can even see maybe the darkness ahead of us. And these stories and these realities can drown us. But as a practitioner that has agency of being in the present moment and still seeing our loved ones are there. Food is in front of us. We have a cup of tea. The sun is still rising today and tomorrow. That is a happy moment. And this mantra is to give us agency and it's very connected to the teachings of the Buddha, which is dwelling happily in the present moment. And when I first listened and heard this phrase in this teaching, I had a wrong perception about it because I thought that I had to practice so hard to transform all of my suffering and then I can dwell happily in the present moment because I, I felt that that was my ultimate destination. Let's say that's my enlightenment, which is I don't suffer anymore. I've transformed generational, um, um, past traumas and suffering, then I have the right to be happy. But the Buddha never said that. The Buddha said, in the present moment, you can dwell happily, even though there's still pain in your body, even though there are things that you have not yet been free from, but your freedom is recognizing that, but look, I'm breathing. Because you're alive, anything is possible. That this is a happy moment. So this mantra was a declaration, a realization, as well as an aspiration so that we can continue to give ourselves agency of our present moment. You can be happy in suffering. That is the teachings of this mantra, as well as when you recognize that this is a happy moment, don't ignore it don't forget the wonders that you have right here right now and I've I remember there are moments when you know we're so busy on a on a tour and uh, we're at the gas station and one of Thay's, um let's say guilty pleasure is french fries. he always makes me buy <laughs> gas station french fries <laughs> and we we just... Yeah, it's unhealthy. It's, you know, it's it's no nutriment. But it's the joy of that moment that there's french fries right there, ketchup. And I think, because I guess I grew up with ketchup, but I think Tai saw the invention of ketchup and it was amazing. And like just these little moments became so, such wonders for me. And I and I remember like flying with Thai, and we would sit on the airplane and Tai would ask me, Fapu, do you think the Buddha would fly if he was still here? And I didn't. I didn't even have a chance to answer, and I said yes, he would definitely, he would, because he would want to go and spread the teachings. And like those moments are such moments of happiness, so simple, so unique, and so precious. So it is. This mantra is to hold and to recognize the gem that are there in your life. Mm, wow.
0: It's, it's sort of, it's, it's quite wonderful to know that Ty just liked a bag of French fries with ketchup. <laughs> Good on you, Ty. We're thinking of you. Um,
1: um, the f- sixth one, brother. The sixth one is, is, is a funny one. It's a very unique one. It's, it's very cool. Is you are partly right. <laughs> it, I hate that one. <laughs> yes, it's, it, it is because sometimes we get in arguments or we get in a dispute. We're not always going to agree with each other. And when we don't agree with each other, we think we are only right. And therefore, we don't listen. Um, we don't allow the other person to express themselves. Or we react so quickly without even thinking about it. And I've, I've also had this habit. And I we have brothers and sisters that I've, you know, recognized um, also have this habit. Like the first thing, their reply is No. And then they would tell us what is right, you know. And you know, right away, it just it just kills the 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 communication because if after I have offered something or I've shared something, and the first thing I hear is no, <laughs> it's like I don't want I don't want to work with you anymore whatsoever. Um, so this this um mon- this mantra is to recognize that they are partly right. Some of this sharing is not 100% right, but it's also to acknowledge what they are saying has sense. And normally when we don't want to listen, then we will make any excuses to ignore or to bring them down. So this mantra is to encourage us to reflect, to listen, as well as to also give an opportunity that their input can shine some light on the situation.
0: yeah and, and, and we, we can see that in any situation in the world where if you are believe you're hundred percent right, the other person has to be hundred percent wrong. And you can see that in relationship. I mean I said, you know do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Mm. Because if you're right, someone else is going to be unhappy and actually even if you really believe you're right, what would you prefer, your partner or friend or colleague to feel utterly miserable or to feel um, humiliated or or attacked or, you know, how, how can that move anything forward? It's just impossible.
1: And also, it also gives us an opportunity, if somebody is sharing what they have heard about you, about me, you know, I can have an opportunity and I say, oh, you, you are only partly right. There's this other 80% that y- you haven't heard yet. So this mantra is also um, to invite that person to listen to the other percentage that they haven't heard. As we know, communication sometimes from one ear to the next mouth, to the next voice, to the next attitude, to the next emotions, stories gets changed. So this is an opportunity to really reflect and to say, thank you for sharing. I heard you, but you're only 20% right. Let me fill you in on the 80% that what I understand. And so it it allows communication not to be one way, but for it to be uh, two ways. Mm.
0: So, and now we have a seventh one, which is your one brother. So just why didn't you repeat your one? One more time. Because
1: no, it's I a... I don't dare put it in, um, in 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 this lineup from the great Zen master. Well, this is maybe your, your first hand. one.
0: Maybe you'll you'll in time create your own uh, for. Yeah, six.
1: this this mantra is still is still very young, still very raw. But yeah, it's it's it, it was my reckon. It was my realization. Is um, I love you to not consume you. I love you to show you that you are enough Mm, beautiful thank you so um
0: so i don't know that was 32 words for the first four i don't know about eight or nine words (laughs) so so you know what just finally brother i mean what it speaks to i think is you know in a sense what i started with is just you don't need to say much to have a deep you know this is how profound these teachings are that in 40 words or uh, 42 or 43 words however many it is for the all six there is such depth that you could actually live your entire life if you were just to focus on those six mantras
1: yeah and Tai really encourages us to um to practice this mantra you know he would say write it in like a um, like a size of a credit card and put it in your wallet to remember, um, to nourish your, your love for yourself and your love for the relationships that you truly care for.
0: Mm, beautiful. Brother, thank you so much. Thank you. So, brother, often we have a uh, guided meditation at the end, but why don't we now just um, recap and just um, maybe everyone can be just sit down and uh, or whether you're standing is just close your eyes for a moment or just... Just be present. And um, maybe, Fapu, you'd like to read the six mantras again and let it just sink into us. Let it just sink in.
1: I am here for you.
2: I know you are there. And I am so happy. I know you suffer. Therefore, I am here for you. I suffer. Please help. This is a happy moment. You are partially right.
0: Hmm. Thank you everyone for joining us for this episode. Uh, You can find all the previous episodes um, of this podcast on the Plum Village app and also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. Um, If you like what we're doing, then it'd be great if you could subscribe to The Way Out Is In podcast on on the platform of your choice, actually, and leave a review if you feel inspired to help others discover it.
1: And you can also find all previous guided meditation in the on-the-go section of the Plum Village app. The podcast is co-produced by Global Optimism and the Plum Village app with support from the Thich Nican Foundation. If you feel inspired to support the podcast moving forward, please go to www.tnhf.org slash donate. And we would like to express our gratitude to our friends and collaborators, to Clay, a.k.a. The Podfather, Yay, our co-producer. Thank you.
0: And, and we're coming towards the end of the year, so it's a chance to really
1: appreciate everyone. To Kata, also our co-producer. Who's in the house, in the hut, rather. <laughs> today, as sound engineer. Um, our other Joe, our audio editing. To our Anka, who is uh, our show note and publishing bodhisattva. Jasmine and Cindy are social media guardian angels. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, and speak to you next time.
2: The way out is in.